Hello, I'm Lawrence Gallian, and you're listening to The Silence of the Mind. Scientists tell us that we spend the majority of our early childhood completely in our unconscious. And indeed, our prefrontal lobe, the front part of our brain that is supposed to separate us from the animals, is not even fully developed until we are at least 18 years of age. And the stupid things we all did as teenagers are probably proof of this fact of our biological development. So we might say that until we are at least 18, we are just using the ancient parts of our brain, our extremely ancient reptilian brain and our mammalian brain. Certainly, there is a strange interplay between our left brain and right brain hemispheres during childhood. Remember that book, The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind? Now, if you haven't read it, it's a must-read. The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind is the influential, controversial, and critically acclaimed 1976 book by the Princeton psychologist, psychohistorian, and consciousness theorist Julian Jaynes. The author wrote about how, in times before the Common Era, our right and left brain hemispheres were physically connected much more strongly than they are today. That is why he explains that peoples of those times saw the gods and interacted with them. Remember, the left brain is the analytical part of our brain, and the right brain is really the unconscious. It is the imaginative, creative, visionary, inspired part of ourselves. In other words, the people of the past experienced their imaginations, their creativity, their inspiration as authentic parts of their world upon which they stood. Often, as we grow up through childhood, we are taught by our parents and society to pay more of our attention to the left brain, the analytical brain. We are told that by doing this, we are growing up. But now, isn't it interesting how young children often have memories of past lives, have invisible friends, see monsters and angels, and experience a whole host of what we adults would call paranormal experiences. Are they, too, having a very strong communication between their right brain and left brain? As Julian Jaynes said, people had in the times of Homer and the Iliad and Odyssey, I feel so strongly that it is a foolish error to say that the people of the past did not see and interact 
with their gods. It is something like how nowadays so many people see UFOs. In fact, the United States government, the Canadian government, the Israeli government, the Brazilian government, the Mexican government have all accepted the reality of the UFO phenomena. And we know there are innumerable people who have had encounters with extraterrestrial beings. A man named Jacques Vallée had a fascinating thought. It occurred to him that no more than a few hundred years ago, people were seeing fairies, pixies, sprites, wild men and wild women, brownies, goblins, trolls, and leprechauns. And now we are no longer seeing, at least for the most part, these beings. But instead, we are seeing all sorts of quote-unquote races of extraterrestrial beings, each with its own particular form, personality, and sense of being helpful or dangerous to humanity. How similar are the two? And how interesting it is that when humanity began to build rockets and bombs, it was then we began to see beings coming in their spaceships, in their own types of rockets from outer space. Before there were rockets, there were fairies that could fly like birds. But the technology was not present in those stories. I believe we were interacting a thousand years ago with the same beings that we are interacting with today in 2021. But today we call them extraterrestrials. And back then, we call them things like fairies. We have just dressed them up differently because that is the only way that our brains can put together the information and offer us some kind of explanation for what we are experiencing. For those of you who know about the Vamanas, the flying palaces and chariots found in Hindu text and Sanskrit epics, I would say that the human mind is infinitely creative. And indeed, these flying palaces and chariots were what today we would perceive as shiny metallic flying objects. It's interesting to note that UFO is no longer the correct term for these objects. Those in military and government command are now referring to them as unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP. But back to Mushin. After you learn to type, you don't have to think about typing. You just sit down in front of your desktop computer's keyboard and type away. The same goes for riding a bicycle, driving a car, talking, walking, and so forth and so on. We just flow. If we are driving, we don't think about how we are going to back out of our driveway. 
We just decide to do it, and then we start the car and back out of the driveway. Actually, our subconscious first decides to do it, and then sends the message to our conscious minds. In our arrogance, we think we consciously decided to do this, but in reality, all our decisions are made fractions of a second by our unconscious before our conscious minds are aware we have made a decision. Just that fact alone should give you much more respect for your unconscious mind. John Kabat-Zinn said something that I really like. Quote, It is remarkable how liberating it feels to be able to see that your thoughts are just thoughts and that they are not you or reality. Unquote. Let's explore some teaching stories that might give you a hint of where we are headed in these podcasts. The Sufis illustrate the one-sidedness of our thought with a story from the holy fool Mullah Nasruddin. Once upon a time a king, disenchanted with his subjects' dishonesty, decided to force them to tell the truth. When the city gates were opened one morning, gallows had been erected in front of them. A royal guard announced, Whoever will enter the city must first answer a question which will be put to them by the captain of the guard. Mullah Nasruddin stepped forward first. The captain spoke, Where are you going? Tell the truth. The alternative is death by hanging. I am going, said Nasruddin, to be hanged on those gallows. I don't believe you, replied the guard. Nasruddin calmly replied, Very well, then. If I have told a lie, hang me. But that would make it the truth, said the confused guard. Exactly, said Nasruddin. Your truth. Those of you who have been with me from the beginning know that my introduction to no-mindedness came about around 1983 when I found a little yellow book filled with Chan Buddhist teaching stories. These woke me up to the blessedness of what we are calling Mushin, or no-mindedness, in these podcasts. I will now tell you a story. I will not interpret it for you, for an interpretation is exactly what we do not want to do. We don't want to do anything. But I warned you, I don't even obey myself. Here's the story. Hui Nang lived in the far south of China. His father died when he was three years old. His mother never remarried, and gradually the family fell into poverty. To earn a living, 
Gui Nang became a woodcutter. One day, on his way to market to sell his wood, he heard a sutra being chanted, and upon inquiring, found out that it was the Diamond Sutra. Sutras are Buddhist scriptures, and the Diamond Sutra is a jewel of religious literature. And he found out that it was being taught by Hong Jen at a place called Wang Mei. Determined to study the Dharma, he left home and traveled to the East Mountain Monastery at Wang Mei in northern China, a long and undoubtedly perilous journey. After an interview with Master Hong Jen, who immediately recognized the great potential of Hui Neng, he was assigned to the rice hulling shed, where he worked for some months in obscurity. Meanwhile, Master Hong Jen, desiring to appoint a successor, announced a verse-writing competition, where the verse would show an understanding of the Dharma, the winner of which would become the next patriarch. None of the monks dared submit a poem, feeling that the senior monk, Shen Hsiu, was the most worthy. Shen Hsiu himself, however, was unsure of his attainment, so he wrote his poem anonymously on a wall that was being prepared for a mural depicting illustrations from the Lankavatara Sutra. His verse said, The body is the Bodhi tree. The mind is like a bright mirror's stand. At all times, we must strive to polish it and must not let dust collect. Everyone, including Master Hung Jen, praised the verse. The monks were told to recite the verse, but privately the master told Shen Hsiu that his verse did not show true understanding of the Dharma, and he should try again. Shen Hsiu was unable, however, to do so. Completely ignorant of the master's instructions regarding the succession, Hui Nang continued working, threshing the rice, until one day he heard a monk chanting Shen Hsiu's verse. He realized immediately that the verse did not express the central meaning of Chan and asked to be taken to the wall where the verse was inscribed. Being illiterate, he asked someone else to inscribe his verse alongside Shen Hsiu's. Hui Neng's poem read, Bodhi originally has no tree. The bright mirror also has no stand. 
Fundamentally, there is not a single thing. Where could dust arise? Publicly, Master Hung Jen denigrated Hui Neng's poem, but late that night he called Hui Neng and taught him the ultimate teaching of the Diamond Sutra, and the illiterate woodcutter was profoundly awakened. Hui Neng received the transmission and the robe and was told to secretly leave the monastery that night and to stay hidden for sixteen years before beginning to teach. Wu Nang traveled to the Fa Hixing Temple in Nanhai and found shelter there, hiding his understanding until one day he heard two monks arguing whether a temple flag was moving or whether it was the wind that was moving it. Hui Neng, still a layman, humbly intruded, saying, It is neither the flag nor the wind that moves. It is only your mind that moves. Upon hearing this exchange, the temple master, Yin Tsung, begged Hui Neng to reveal himself and begin teaching. Hui Neng showed him the robe of transmission, and Yin Sung shaved Hui Neng on the ordination platform that had been set up by Guna Badra, who lived from 394 to 468. After Hui Neng received the full precepts, he preached the East Mountain teachings from the ordination platform. Thereafter, he became a famous Chan teacher, preaching the Dharma for some 40 years. He died in 713, aged 76. And I will read to you once again his poem, the poem of Wineng. And I want to explain, Bodhi is, as most of you know, the name of the tree under which the Buddha attained enlightenment. But here is Wee Neng's poem. Bodhi originally has no tree. The bright mirror also has no stand. Fundamentally, there is not a single thing. Where could dust arise? I will talk to you soon. Peace. If you enjoyed this podcast, I invite you to subscribe so you will be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. If you feel so inclined, give it a five-star review. I conclude today's broadcast with my motto that I recommend you say with me because it applies to you and to me. There is one consciousness, omnipresent, integral, 
and coherent. This consciousness is the ground of all being. I am this consciousness.